What's up, everybody? So we're going to uh, go through this book by Newbigin called Sin and Salvation. Um, and the reason why we're doing this um, is that uh, we wanted to give, I guess, uh, a little display of what a conversation on a book would look like. Um, so I guess to start off, um, Newbigin was writing this to the Church of South India um, for the Dhammal Diocese. And I think it's also interesting that we being in a part of the Church of South India, um, we're providing resources or we're trying to develop resources as we explore what discipleship looks like in North America. But it's interesting how there's already resources that have existed, but we're not even aware of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is one of them um, that happens to be for the CSI churches. And yeah, Brian, do you mind kind of expanding on the whole intention of Newbegin for writing this? Right, yeah. So Newbegin was, Leslie Newbegin, he was a guy who was born around 1909. Uh, he left for India from the Church of Scotland in 1936 as, as a missionary. So he was pretty young, 27, when he first left for Thumbelnod. And he ministered in Thumbelnod and became one of the first bishops in CSI in 1947. Uh, and he was really involved in the negotiations over uniting the four different traditions into one church. This book that we're going to be talking about today, we're looking at the first section of the book, uh, pages like 1 to 17, but this book was originally written in Tamil, and Newbegin was really beloved by the people in Tamilnad because he was able to speak not the classical Tamil, which is kind of like Shakespearean English for us, but the, you know, colloquial Tamil, the Tamil that the everyday people were speaking. And so it's for that reason that he was asked to write this book as kind of a training manual for the uh, pastoral leaders in the village congregations in Tamil country. So those pastoral leaders were actually elementary school teachers, which is really interesting because they didn't have enough uh, priests initially to be at every single congregation. And so because they were elementary school teachers, the, uh, the pastoral leaders would be given certain books to read for the year. And at the end of the year, they would be uh, there would be annual examinations um, to basically check their understanding and make sure that they knew what they were talking about as they were leading their people. So this book, Sin and Salvation, was originally written in Tamil for the purpose of training up Tamil church workers, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, and it's also interesting now that we're trying to use this text to also train up and just use as discipleship for um the CSI churches in North America. And I think one thing that is interesting that Newbigin um, takes note of in its preface is the word of sin and salvation and how in the Tamil language there isn't a straight translation, um, which is interesting in two cases. For First being that like there's always going to be a language barrier. But in the second is that do we also even know the fullness of the meaning of sin and salvation in our own languages? But yeah, yeah. do you mind expanding on that? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think one of the reasons why this book is going to be so useful for us is that in North America today, 
sin and salvation both have such loaded baggage. They're terms that come with such uh, strong religious connotations that we don't really think about what they mean. They're just church words, right? And so we kind of know what they mean, but we don't really examine uh, the comprehensiveness of what the term covers. Uh, And it's interesting reading this book and, and learning about the translation issues because there are words that uh, the translators used in the Thummel Bible to translate sin and salvation, but they don't really uh, correlate with the, the, the words for sin and salvation in uh, the New Testament period that the apostles used. So the word for sin is uh, pavum, I think that's how you say it, pavum, uh, which is not so much uh, the idea of personal guilt or personal responsibility, but more the idea of something unfortunate happening to someone like bad luck or misfortune. So that's what uh, pavum means. And the word rachipu basically means providing support and sustenance. And that's the word they, the translators use to translate salvation in the Tamil Bible. And so uh, this is a quote from the preface uh, on page Uh, eight of the book, but it basically says, Dr. J.H. McLean of Conjiverum, the great missionary of the Church of Scotland, used to say that the real meaning of the words used in the Thummel Bible at 1 Timothy 1 verse 15 is, Christ Jesus came into the world to provide free board and lodging for rascals. And so you kind of see the the real verse in the original says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, right? But a Thummel person reading the Thummel Bible, with if they just use those you know words that were translated for sin and salvation, would think, oh, this is just about giving things to people who don't really deserve it. It kind of gets the meaning, but not really. And so, for that reason, Newbegin in this world, in, in this um, book, uses the word sarva, which comes from the Sanskrit word. Uh, root meaning wholeness. So salvation for Newbegin, what he's trying to get across is the idea of integration. And the word for sin, I think he uses, has to do with disintegration. So disintegration and integration. Uh, and, and by doing that, he's trying to convey the real meaning of what sin and salvation are. Got it. So sin has to do with disintegration and then salvation in a sense means wholeness and integration. That makes sense. All right. So should we just go straight into the different chapters? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the first first chapter uh, titled, What Do We Mean by Salvation? Um, And I think it's interesting and also compelling as well that Newbegin straight up says that we find ourselves in a full in a full sense of self-contradiction. Everything is in contradiction. We are divided. There is disharmony and dissonance um, with man and the natural world. Yeah, I I think what's interesting about this section is that he starts off by saying he's trying to define salvation, right? But I think in this, in the Tamil Hindu context in which he is originally writing this for church workers, a question that would naturally come is, why do we need to be saved, right? Like salvation from what? Um, And it's appropriate for us too, because I think that's a question a lot of people in North America would also ask, like, why do I need to be saved? 
I'm fine. I'm good. Uh, and so what Newbegin is trying to do here, Benoit, like you just said, is he's trying to outline the different ways in which man is in a state of contradiction. That's the terms he used. We, we could use it different words. We could use the words like alienation. Uh, there's a sense in which man is alienated from different things. Or um, that word we talked about just now, disintegration. Man is in a state of like fragmentation or disintegration with respect to the different things in his life. So there are four dimensions Newbegin outlines here. It's that man is in a state of contradiction against the world, against the environment, basically, or against the natural world. He's in a state of self-contradiction uh, against his fellow man, fellow man and woman. Uh, and he's in a state of contradiction against his own self. And then he finally, he's in a state of contradiction against God. And sorry, we're using pri primarily male gender pronouns, but that's the way Newbegin wrote. It was the 1950s. It's not very gender inclusive. So sorry about that. So by when we say men, we're talking about the human race and we're talking about both female and male. Yeah, exactly. Right. We're talking about it's man in a broad sense. It's talking about the human race. That's exactly right. Got it. OK, so let's go into the, the first point. Um, man is in a state of contradiction against the natural world. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting how he starts off here, right? Because he's talking about how man is a part of the natural world, just like the animals. And yet we know, even though he is a part of the natural world and he has a body made of flesh and blood and bones and he depends on the world for sustenance with food, water, air and temperature, he's not at peace with the natural world. And by that, Nubian doesn't talk about killing other animals for food because obviously there are predators who do that and that's something we find in the natural world a lion killing a gazelle right that's in the natural world but right. there's something more than that that shows that man's in a state of contradiction with the natural world and really this is that first man tries to subdue the natural world to his will in a way that no animal has done right like mm. men cultivate you know the, the earth into farms and gardens and cities uh we try to subdue the earth in a way that no other animal we know of does even really intelligent animals there are, you know there's some evidence to suggest that there you know dolphins might be might have similar iqs to the united to uh to men and women to the human race but even though they have similar iqs they have not tried to dominate the natural world in the, in the same way that human beings have. The second thing that's interesting about that is, and the second way in which we see that men try, men are in a state of contradiction against the natural world is that they have infinite desires. So even though we try to subdue the natural world, it never actually satisfies us. Uh, with animals, right? Like even with a snake, right? If you put a mouse with a snake and the snake is already full the snake is not going to eat the mouse it's going to wait until it's hungry again but man is not satisfied when he's just full right like we will continue to eat there's some there's something about our desires that torment us according to new begin i think this is really good he tries to, so he says this he is tormented by desires which are unlimited and therefore not understanding the nature of his desires he tries to get 
more of the same natural goods and as a result becomes a glutton, a drunkard, or a sexual pervert. Because man is so made that only God can satisfy him. His desires are unlimited. So there's something about human beings that means that we want our our desires can never be fully sated unless our desire we find our satisfaction in God. Uh, and this is the reason, according to Newbigin, that we eat more than uh, we should. That our sexual lusts become more and more uh, weird, right? Because we're trying to satisfy something in ourselves that the natural world actually cannot satisfy. Yeah, that, that means. How, yeah, that, how does that land? land yeah, that that's interesting. In the idea yeah. of that, it's almost that like humanity has an existential crisis of like trying to create meaning or understand its desires and you know for a bee it makes honey you know for a dog it just roams around and bark and like all these different animals and things their desires and their needs are met but for man um their struggle i guess our struggles or whatever our desires may be um we're always wanting more it's almost as if that we're always we're we're always in a, a crisis of like we're always in a crisis of wanting more and to fill our needs but we're never filled by these natural things yeah yeah that's right i mean i think when people this might land different ways for people listening but and i i can imagine if you talk to someone who's not a believer in christianity there's a sense in which they might push back on this first statement that New Begin is making, that man's in a state of contradiction with the natural world. But I mean, as soon as you start talking about climate change, right, or right. you start talking about the way we are devastating the environment, or you start talking about the way we treat endangered species, or the way we're polluting the water and the air, it's just apparent that we are, you know, in a state of contradiction with the natural world. Uh, so I think the truth of this, when you, when you pursue this line of thought with um, even people who are not believers in Christianity, I think there's there's some common ground here that we can reach, because I right. think this is very apparent. In the in the I guess in the way of thinking that we've corrupted or we kind of overdo everything and we've kind of corrupted this earth, and it makes yeah. sense to think like you know we're kind of overdoing the things that like what would be considered good stewarding of this earth or yeah yeah exactly i mean like even the way that we over consume things even right. in the way like so small example here but um there's a lot of people who are you, you know you can use those like disposable plastic bags mm. uh and the use of those disposable plastic bags ultimately ends up uh, leads to a, a lot of plastic being dumped into the ocean, so basically polluting the ocean. And there are such things as reusable plastic bags, which are just a little bit more expensive. But that little bit of, I don't know, uh, you know, difficulty or obstacle in obtaining a reusable plastic bag or a tote bag causes a lot of people to not use them, and they just keep sticking with the disposable plastic bags, which are so much worse for the environment. So those, that's just one small example of how our selfishness and our desires 
lead us to destroy the natural world, which we are a part of. And so since we are a part of this natural world that we ourselves are destroying, we're in a state of contradiction with respect to the natural world. Does that make sense? So that's what he means by yeah. contradiction with the natural world. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Um, let's go to the next point. Man is in a state of contradiction against his fellow man. Yeah, let's do it. So um, this is another Nubian actually starts off by saying about this, it is not necessary to write very much. Uh, and that's because even more so than uh, our enmity or contradiction with the natural world, our alienation from our fellow men and women is so apparent. Uh, it's just clear from looking at history. History is a story of you know, tribe against tribe. You look at Indian history, right? The Aryans come in invading from the north and destroy the Indus River civilization and drive them south. Uh, you look at, you know, even the American colonists first coming to the United States and there's conflict and ultimately subjugation of the native peoples, right? So you see that throughout human history. And, but it's interesting, like, again, why is this a state of contradiction? So we know that it's a fact that people are against each other. Uh, but how is this contradiction? And Newbegin writes this, brings this out here. This, he is able to put, one of the reasons I love reading him is he's able to put a lot of dense thoughts into a small paragraph or even into a single sentence. So here's one sentence where he's talking about this. Although all men know that this strife can only can bring only ruin and misery, although they know that without cooperation we must perish, although they know that love is the highest good and that without it life is not worth living, yet men fight one with another. Each one is seek, each one seeking his own good rather than the good of others is brought up against others who are seeking their own good. And so there's this it, it's contradicting. Because, or contradictory because human society is made in such a way that for us to survive and even thrive, we have to depend upon one another, right? Like even in our society today, it depends upon this idea of mutual exchange and of respecting one another's rights. And yet, because man is seeking his own good at the expense of other people, that we are constantly subverting the very relationships we need in order to survive and thrive. Ultimately, brother rises up against brother. Cain kills Abel. And that paradigmatic story of the first murder is recreated in all human relationships because each of us is so selfish that we see the other person as a means to an end, a means to furthering our own happiness or an obstacle to our happiness. And that's the way we deal with them. Uh, and that's what Newbegin is drawing out here. That's how man is in a state of contradiction with his fellow men. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's also kind of interesting to view it as like, you know, we think of the original sin from Adam and Eve, but also think of it in the terms of Cain and Abel and how with that first bloodshed, all of dispute and all of division kind of stems out of that. And part of history it, it led to more bloodshed and part of it led to more division and jealousy for power and for authority or whatever it may be 
Um, but we're still living in that same exact cycle of being divided, of being thirsty for power or for our own self-righteousness. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is another um, point that, again, you could talk to an atheist or someone who believes in a different faith, and they might give you some pushback on this. But I think if you just point them to history and point them to the reality of their own motives or the way the world just operates today, they would acknowledge that humankind is alienated from one another. Uh, I think that's how we see, I mean, a good example is just like the racism that we see rearing its head in, uh, especially the United States recently with the shooting in El Paso and that kind of thing. That's just another example of our state of alienation from one another. Right. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Um, let's go to the next point. Man is himself in a state of inner self-contradiction. Yeah, I'll start off with uh, another quote from Newbegin here. Each man in himself is not a unity. His mind is a republic in which many forces are battling against one another. Uh, I love that image. His mind is a republic in which it's like a republic in which there's a civil war or or even more complicated than a civil war. There are forces, many forces battling against one another. So it's one of those complicated civil wars where there are like five or six different sides. Uh, that's the way a man is. And I think if people are honest uh, in their self-reflection and self-examination, we all know that we have a million different motives for doing different things. And sometimes, um, our emotions or our thoughts are pulling us in two different directions simultaneously. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 19, right? He's saying, the good which I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I practice. There is there's a sense of alienation from ourselves. There's a, there's a sense in which we do not fully understand ourselves because we're not fully in control of ourselves. Sometimes we lash out in anger, and then afterwards we think to ourselves, how could I have said that? How could I have done that? Uh, sometimes we act on instinct. Sometimes we do something which seems so out of character, and yet it is part of us. It, it comes out from, it comes, it's an action or a thought that comes from within us, right? And so that thing that we can't understand that we did, that's part of our stories too. And it's very difficult for us to reconcile all these different parts of us, all these different parts of our personalities, because it seems, because each of us has a story in our minds of who we are, right? And we're constantly narrating that story to ourselves. And so when something comes up or something happens that's out, out of bounds with that story, we just kind of try to disregard it or dismiss it. And what Newbegin is saying here is, no, don't just disregard it or dismiss it. That's a part of who you are, too. And that's part of the reason why you are not in full control of you. And it's a very sobering thought, but I think it's it's a very realistic thought. It's a very realistic uh, view of what human beings are like. Yeah, that's interesting to that. Like, Newbegin points that out, but it's I think it's also important because if man is naturally inclined to be self-righteous, to believe it's, you know, me versus everyone else or us versus them. But at the same exact time, if you believe you're self-righteous or 
everything like you you know you deserve this or you have done rightly or whatever it may be but you look at yourself and you realize there's already contradictions that exist within yourself yeah there's times when you make irrational decisions we're not fully fully rational beings at all um so how in that like mindset could we ever say we're right or we're good right and and i mean even the concept of being rational right but like you reason is a tool that you uh, use in pursuit of different ends. And so within human beings, sometimes we have multiple ends that we're pursuing, right? So one end could be a good family life and one end could be advancing in my career. This is, you know, just a basic example. And so you use your reason to determine what are the steps to get a good family life? What are the steps to get a good end? So you can be rational even, but if you have competing goods and you can't prioritize between them, then your reason actually contributes to further contradiction because now you're you're reasoning on two tracks. Do you get what I'm saying? Like your mind is split. And this is just a basic example. Our, our minds are split or fragmented in a million different ways. Uh, because we're constantly taking in information from the world, information from social media, in what we look at, what we read, what we watch, that is presenting to us things that the world thinks are good, things that we should prioritize. And we're not, because we're not able to put them in any kind of hierarchy or order them or reflect on them, all these things are warring for uh, our attention and for our action. Uh, and that's that just contributes to further self-contradiction yeah that's interesting for sure like we're living in disharmony because of that um let's go to the next part man is in a state of contradiction against god yeah newbegin tells us that this is the basic contradiction on which everything else rests Uh, Because man is a creature in revolt against his creator, a creature who has cut himself off from the roots of his own being. Um, So basically what this is, the reason ultimately that man is in a state of self-contradiction and that man is in a state of contradiction with his fellow men and that man is in a state of contradiction with the natural world is because he's in a state of contradiction with the creator. Man is made in God's image to do God's will, but even though that is what he's created for, he does not wish to do God's will. And so that that fact that he does not want to do what he was created to do is the fundamental contradiction. It's the contradiction of his own nature. So even what Newbegin kind of like highlights here, and I think he gets into it uh, later on in the book, is even a man's attempts to walk in accordance with God's wills, his, his his attempts at obedience are not man obeying out of love, which is what he was created to do, but uh, he is obeying in order to earn his own glory. So what did you think about that, actually? Benoit, I'm, I'm looking at page 14 here at the beginning of that. It says, even when he says, I will walk in accordance with God's will, he wishes to do so in his own right, in his own strength, not glorifying God, but glorifying himself. Right. Um, and I think it kind of ties into the first three points of because man wants to be 
um, in union with God. But the thing is that there's already contradictions or there's already um, things that are wrestling between man and himself and with his fellow man and with all of creation as well. And though man, though reflectively may want to live rightly with God, um, man is also in the state of having these different desires, whether it be seeking after beauty or status or whatever it may be. And though man may have good intentions and we can all say, you know, we all have in some respect may want to have good intentions and may believe that we all have good intentions. The problem still lies is that we're still going to live in contradiction. You know, we're all going to be chasing after slightly different things and as a result there's going to be conflict there's going to be competition and as a result ultimately we're going to be living in a state of contradiction against god and living in a right way with god yeah 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 i think that's exactly right and the ultimate fruit of that or the ultimate result of that is that because man is alienated from so many different things in in all these different dimensions because he's in a state of contradiction he's also in a state of bondage uh so newbegin writes here he is no longer free but is confronted and limited at every turn by hostile forces which are too strong for him the power of evil in the world around him the power of sin in his own soul and finally the power of death to put an end to his life all combine to rob him of his freedom and no power of his is enough to overcome these hostile powers and free him. And so this is the tragic paradox of humankind's situation that I think Newbegin is trying to draw out here, is that man is in this state of contradiction because ultimately man wants to be free. Man wants to be in control. Man wants to have autonomy. Man wants to be... Yeah, he, man wants to decide what is good and evil for himself, right? And yet, because he has cut himself off from the creator, because he has tried to stand on his own ground and not stand on the ground God has prepared for him, ultimately, man is robbed of all freedom. He is instead uh, a slave to the evil in the world, right? So we are overcome by the temptations uh, given to us in the world. We are overcome <clears throat> by the sin in our own soul. We're not even able to really fully control ourselves. We, we can't discipline ourselves. The things we want to do, we fail to do. The things we don't want to do, we end up doing. So in what sense are we free? Uh, and ultimately, the, the final uh, insult to our freedom is death, right? Because death means the destruction of ourselves. You know, there, there are some philosophies that try to talk about how death is a good thing, death is a gift, death is a, a release. But in Christian theology, there's nothing good about death. That Death is an enemy who comes to rob us of our freedom, who comes to rob us of all our loves, who comes to rob us of everything that is good in life. And life is good because it's a gift from God. And so ultimately, men are slaves to death. And it's a stark and bleak picture that Newbegin paints here, but no power of ours is enough to overcome these hostile powers. Uh, and so that's what we're going to be exploring, I think, as the conversation continues. 
what I love about this first section is that Newbegin is talking about a lot of biblical ideas, but he's explaining it in a way that a person who does not accept the authority of the Bible uh, could relate and could understand what is being said. Do you know what I'm saying? And and that's right. why I think it's so it's so interesting that he first wrote this for Tamil, you know, church workers who are probably trying to disciple and evangelize people who are coming out of a Hindu context in Tamil Nadu, right? Um, and so he's explaining what sin is and why we need to be saved. And all this stuff that he's writing about is stuff that you can discern from Genesis chapters 1 to 3 or Romans chapter 1, honestly. But he's explaining it in a way that people could be like, yeah, if I look at the world, if I look at my relationship with my neighbors, if I look at my relationship with myself, I can see all these different contradictions. Why is that? And Newbegin is driving them to the conclusion that the reason for all these different contradictions, the reason for all this alienation is that fundamentally we are in rebellion against God and we were created for relationship with God. And therefore there's a contradiction in our own nature. Yeah, that's interesting for sure. Um, so let's go to the conclusion um, and Newbigin kind of introduces the idea of salvation, um, the idea of the wholeness of salvation. Right. Um, it's So yeah, he says right here, to man in the, thus in bondage and in self-contradiction, the message of salvation is sent. And he, he says the Greek word, which we translate as save, means to make whole. It comes from the same root as the Sanskrit sarva, it means wholeness. It means the healing of that which is wounded, the mending of that which is broken, the setting free of that which is bound. And so I guess when you understand everything that came before, when you understand what man's situation is, fundamentally, man's situation is that of a slave. And therefore, salvation in the sense of restoration or wholeness, making whole, Fundamentally, it's about liberation or setting free of that which is bound. But why are we set free? It's not simply that we are freed from all our different contradictions. We're set free so that we can fulfill God's original purpose in creation. Um, God created us so that we could be one family bound to him and to one another. And so in a sense, I, I mean, I think one way we can talk about this with our friends and neighbors, and especially those who are not Christian, is that salvation is the healing of all of our contradictions so that we can uh, continue on God's original project for creation, where we are his image bearers, uh, bringing light and delight and love into the world. Yeah, that's that's interesting, an idea of that the only way to so we're in disharmony we're in contradiction and the christian claim is that the only way by um reversing this or to be in harmony with god is through the work of salvation through the sense of wholeness of being integrated um instead of disintegrated yeah, and I think one of the things that's interesting about that way of phrasing it 
and Newbegin talks about this later on, but that means that salvation is not just a, about, I think we have a, a sense of thinking of salvation as wiping our slate clean. You know what I mean? Like our, our past records of all the wrongs that we've done, it's wiped clean. There's an aspect of that to salvation, but I think Newbegin is pushing us beyond that. Salvation is the restoration of right relationships, beginning with the right relationship with God. And the healing of that relationship with God allows us then to be in right relationship with creation, with ourselves, and with our fellow human beings. Uh, and so there's a real sense that something happens to us. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not sometimes, uh, especially I think in uh, the American evangelical circles, uh, it, salvation can be heard in our day just as meaning you pray a prayer and then that means that your old record uh, of sin is replaced with Jesus's record of righteousness. That's true, but there's something more. That's just one aspect of it. There's something more. There's this creation of a new relational reality where we're bound up in one family to be uh, to God. And we're now bound because of that, because we are now part of God's family. We have a new relationship to the world and to other human beings and to ourselves. So there's there's a whole reconstitution of our hearts that happens. It's not just about a past record. Right. And it kind of goes back through that chain of thought of then the state of relationship between man and God is restored. And then man with himself is restored. Then with his fellow man is also restored. And with all of creation is also restored. Yes. And I think when people start talking about the the recreation or the restoration of this new relationship, sometimes people can get nervous because it sounds like works and not grace. So just you know, stick with the conversation because I think as we continue to work through the book, you'll see how this entire new this relationship we receive from God is something that is entirely received as a gift from God, something that we did not deserve at all, but it's something that is accomplished for us that is given to us as grace. So, but we'll get there, probably not in this conversation, but in future conversations.